You're listening to Real Life at the Ridge, the preaching ministry of Chestnut Ridge Church. Wow, it is, as always, great to be with you. Uh, I'm going to direct your attention this morning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We'll, we'll not only be here uh, this week, but we'll actually be in this place next week, Lord willing. Um, we'll be here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. <clears throat> in the 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, we're going to talk today a little bit about a culture shift. Culture is something that is varied across this world. Every home in representation today uh, is different, has a different culture within it to some degree or another. Some folks uh, do things different when it comes to just washing clothes and putting them up. Some folks do different when it comes to the type of food you cook and how you cook the food and, and how you raise your children and how you uh, conduct things in that household. Some people may budget one way. Some people may budget another way. Some people may not budget at all. I mean, so there's a lot of different things that go on within each household. Churches are different. Some folks would walk into Chestnut Ridge and they would go, wow, this is different than what I'm accustomed to when it comes to going to church. Even if it's a church that still preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you know, rightly, it can be a little different. But their culture is different. If you go into another part of the United States of America, you'll run into a different culture. I've often said you can take somebody from Bailabachi, Louisiana, and take somebody from New York, New York, and you'd have to translate for them because they talk different. <clears throat> they cook different. They do things different. You, so culture is something that is varied across this whole world. And there are people who kind of direct culture. Uh, as a matter of fact, almost every administration, when they come into power in some type of government, they will try to change the culture of that uh, environment, the community, the state, maybe even the whole nation. And that happens across this globe. But there is something that happens in culture when it comes to Scripture. There's something that happens in culture that is different than anything anywhere else. And that is when the gospel impacts a culture to where it changes that culture with those differing people within it. But yet they have come and their, their moral premises, their, their, the way you live your life out, the purpose of life and all those things, they, be, they begin to unite up under one banner and the culture changes. That's what happened at Thessalonica. Paul on his second missionary journey... He makes his way, and that brother traveled many, many miles, a lot harder than we ever have thought about traveling. That brother traveled some miles. His, he makes his way from Jerusalem and goes all the way up around, comes through by Philippi into Macedonia, and makes his way all the way down to Thessalonica. Before he gets to Thessalonica, if you've been following along in our reading as a church, if you, you haven't and you want to, you can pick up a reading list out here at the desk or you can go on Facebook online. They've got it plastered pretty much everywhere. They put a new list up every week. But we've been kind of following Paul's missionary journeys. We've seen in Acts chapter 16, Acts chapter 17, and how Paul is working his way around. He goes through Galatia, where the church, uh, we have the letter to the Galatian church there. But he, he comes through Galatia, he comes through, I said, Philippi, works his way around. Before he gets to Philippi and Thessalonica, he runs into a particular culture that disagrees and will not change 
for the gospel's sake. And that's important for you to understand that every place the Apostle Paul went was not going to heed to the gospel. As a matter of fact, they beat him and his companions. They put him in jail and they actually put him in jail. And it's kind of funny in a way because after they beat him, Paul and them tell them that they're Roman citizens and they have now made a bad mistake because they were not supposed to beat them as Ro- or to condemn them as Roman citizens without a proper trial first. And so here, here Paul and his uh, companions, they are asked by the governor in town to please, please leave before anybody finds out that we have wrongfully uh, treated Roman citizens. But nevertheless, they got beat for the gospel's sake with reeds. They're bearing the marks of the beatings that they had. As a matter of fact, the jailer actually took them to his house and kind of took care of his, their wounds and, and actually treated their wounds and washed their backs. Can you imagine in your mind thinking about that, that you're just out there spreading the gospel? We, we often say, well, I wonder why people don't respect preachers like they used to. It's because the culture has changed. And in the culture that Paul goes into, they don't know anything about the gospel. He has taken the gospel to them for the very first time. And so as they reject the gospel, they, they reject the truth. And I want you to understand that that's what it's all about is the truth. That's what everything is about in politics. That's what it's all about is it is to do away with the truth. Why do we want to do away with the truth? We do away with the truth. That way we can do whatever we want to as people. If we take away an absolute truth that there is a moral law and there is a moral law giver and his name is God and his word is true and and, and it it will not bend, it's not going to bow, you can't change it. As a matter of fact, when he signed the book at the end, he said, don't change one word out of it. And so that's what it's all about. Men, the Bible says in chapter 3 of John, men love darkness rather than light for their deeds are evil. And we know that to be true about our own selves. Our flesh, we love deeds of, of darkness, evil. And that's the whole premise in trying to get the truth to be stamped out. So understand, it's always about getting rid of the truth. I heard just recently that the Ukrainian Orthodox Church is under uh, attack by the Roman Orthodox Church. I mean, the uh, Russian Orthodox Church. Now, with everything that's going on over there, the Russian Orthodox Church is trying to push out the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. And, and, and they're doing it. It's all about a political move. It's all about power. I even heard a story uh, just recently about a Baptist preacher over in Ukraine where the Ukrainian Orthodox preacher and his wife flew up beside him and his family walking down the street, throwed the door open and just said, wouldn't it be a sad thing to read in the paper of the Baptist preacher and his wife being run over by a car? What I'm trying to tell you is that there is a gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then there is the world that opposes the gospel. And Paul ran into the world that opposes the gospel And that world that opposes the gospel beat them because of the gospel's sake. But yet they kept on traveling. And with the marks on their back, they worked their way by Philippi. 
They work their way on into Thessalonica. But when they get to Thessalonica, and it's kind of, it's just awesome to watch because the, the scriptures even say in Acts that Paul would have gone here, but the spirit wouldn't let him. And God was directing his path. He directed his path to Thessalonica, which is an interesting place to be directed to because one of the primary, well, the most primary trade route in all of Macedonia and in that part of the world ran right through Thessalonica. So things coming in and things going out. And if you wanted to spread something to the rest of the known world at that time, that road was a great place to start. And God took the gospel right to Thessalonica, right down that road. Our God is in control of everything. He, he's sovereign over it all. And we see it happening right here in the midst of the culture that is shifting in Thessalonica. As a matter of fact, observing how the gospel changes the culture is what we're going to do this morning. We're going to just take a look and observe how the, how the gospel changes a culture. And I think that we'll see when we go to reading our text and go to working into it that Paul found great joy in reflecting. And that's the first thing I want you to think about is the joy of reflecting on how the gospel changes a culture. Before I read my text, I want you to think, how many of you can think about how the gospel may have changed your life? And when the gospel changed your life, it not only changed your life, it changed the life of the people around you. I can think in my own personal testimony how when the gospel came to my life, my home changed. That my wife had a new husband, my kids had a new dad, even the people that I worked for had a new employee. That there was something different, not perfect, but that there was now a, a human being that had the gospel that had a, arrested his life and now was under control of the spirit of the living God and God was con conforming this person now into the image of Christ and is still to this very day conforming me into the image of Christ. But my point is that the gospel, when the gospel impacts people in a, in a culture, the culture is going to be impacted as well. Uh, let's read our text. I'm going to read all 10 verses of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. It says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, in, in much assurance as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, and having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe, for from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone out, so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God 
and to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivered us from the wrath to come. <clears throat> Going back to verse 2 and verse 3, listen to what he says. <clears throat> Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. He says that in their prayers they constantly are giving thanks to God, making mention of them in their prayers, remembering without ceasing, and he says their work of faith. It's awesome to think that Paul and his companions, when they're praying, they're actually talking to God about what they have found to be joy in the gospel work in, in the Thessalonican church. I mean, think about it. What would it be like if that was the prayer of somebody about you or about the church that you were a part of or the culture that you were a part of? That They would be praying, thanking God. God, I am so thankful for the folks at Chestnut Ridge. God, I'm so thankful for the individuals that have given their lives to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful for the community that they, of faith that they have built there and the work that's going on there. And the first thing he actually says is, I'm remembering without ceasing your work of faith. Did you know that the gospel changes the very nature of people? If you want to talk about changing a culture, you have to realize that the gospel is what does the work. And the gospel's work in the lives of people is to change the very nature of the people themselves. I mean, often we, we look at God doing a work and we'll say within the church, but don't forget that the church is made up of people. We said just the other, other day that this building, God did not die for this building. He died for people, individuals. And so when we think about God doing his work, he's doing his work with individual people, but they make up the body of Christ. And that if you and I leave out of this building, whether we leave the lights on or off, doesn't make a difference. This building will stay the same until we come back in. That when we leave, the life of this building leaves out of it. Uh, the, the Spirit of God does not dwell in temples made by hands, the Bible says. That he is dwelling within us. Chosen vessels that he has invested the Holy Spirit of God into. And he's changing radically by the renewing of our minds. And we'll see all that in a minute. But that he's changing us. As a matter of fact, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Romans 3, 20 and 21 says, Therefore by the deeds of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. This work of faith that he's talking about, the way the language works out, it's not their works that they are doing with faith. It is the work of faith that God is working within them. We know that the gospel is this. It is the good news of Jesus Christ. There would be no good news without bad news. The bad news is, Romans 3, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But what makes the good news so good is the bad news is so bad. And the good news is that Jesus Christ came. John 3, 16. He came to this world. God sent His Son to die on the cross for our sins. To glorify Him, but to bring salvation to us. To redeem men that would believe in Him. And all those that have believed in Him, and all those that will believe in Him, they bring glory to the Father in their, in their trust in Christ. But it's God doing the work. Because we believe that the gospel is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. 
that, that it is, there is only one name given among men whereby you must be saved. And it is the name of Jesus Christ. That's why I tell you that the battle is for the truth of the gospel. It's Christ. Some folks would say that all the religions of the world, they just work their way to God. They just do it in a different way. Then you don't understand the religions of the world, nor do you understand Christianity. As John MacArthur put it, there's only two religions in the entire world. There is the religion of human achievement, where man does something to achieve a, a, a right to go into eternity, to be somewhere in some state of better being because of what you've done on this earth. And there is the religion of divine accomplishment, where there is a divinity, there is a divine uh, uh, nature, a divine person that comes and ransoms, rescues these, sin, these lost people. And that is what Christianity is, that Christ himself came to this earth God himself came to this earth. He lived a sinless life. He died the perfect death. And he, they buried him in a tomb just as the Bible said. And on the third day he arose. It was foretold in the scriptures. And so there is the religion of divine accomplishment. And there is the religion of human achievement. Every other religion on the face of this earth is a person trying to get to God somehow. Or trying to get to some state of being that is better than what we're in right now. But that's not what Christianity is. Christianity is the gospel of Jesus Christ saying that we are sinful men, helpless and hopeless without him. But God comes in and he rescues us. And when he does, he changes us. And then you have people that are being governed by the spirit of God and by his word. And they're walking along their lives and they are different than the rest of the world. Like I said a minute ago, there is a, a moral law and that moral law comes from a moral law giver. And when the society that you live in goes contrary to that, then the, the, the light that shines from the gospel begins to shine brighter because the darkness is, is actually magnifying the light. And in the world that we live in today, and I'll just give you just a couple of things just so you understand where we're at in society. Government was given by God just as the church was given by God. But the government was given by God, first and foremost, I believe, to protect people. To, to, to protect people. I mean, think about it. In our world today, why do we have military? To make sure that we're safe, right? Now, why, do, why do we have laws that protect people, human beings, that you are not to murder people? This is because the moral law giver says that that is a law that should be held up. Why? Because we are created in the image of Almighty God. We bear the marks of His image. And that life is precious. And you shouldn't just go out here and take life. But what happens when the government itself begins to pass laws that says that you can go out here and actually murder children? Then society and culture is getting upside down. When they go into courtrooms and they come up with their own ideas about what laws are instead of going by what God says, then how do you govern somebody in a society? Because, see, they should be governing by what God says truth is, but yet now we've gone to the point to where we say that marriage is not just between one man and one woman anymore. Marriage is however you want to define marriage. You can marry a billy goat or a whatever you want to marry. And don't believe it ain't coming. I, I mean it because you can go back in history and you'll find that right behind homosexuality, you're going to find bestiality. 
It's out there. And it won't be long. If nothing changes, it's coming. I promise you, as much as I know who I am, I promise you it's coming. Because you look now and you go, how in the world is it possible for them to let a guy compete in a swimming competition against girls? And then to give the prize. It's because the world gets turned upside down when culture changes its ideologies. That, that we, we no longer want to trust what God's word says. But now the government, instead of being given by God, the government thinks it is God. And the gospel, though, it doesn't matter what the government, it doesn't matter what the culture says, whether you're beaten with reeds or accepted like they were in Thessalonica, it doesn't matter. The gospel of Jesus Christ for the child of the living God does not bow and does not bend. So it doesn't matter what the government decides to do. It doesn't matter what culture decides to do. It doesn't even matter what people in leadership within the church think. That God is right, let all men be liars. And that you and I have been saved and redeemed, if you're saved today, by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is the gospel, the same gospel that changed the people in Thessalonica. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus under good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's God working. And that's the thing I want you to get out of that text. Paul says, remembering without ceasing your work of faith. In other words, the work that faith is doing in the life of the church there at Thessalonica. And they were receiving it. And word was going out so much so that Paul says, I don't even have to tell people about what's going on there. He says, everywhere I go, the word is getting out that y'all are on fire for Jesus Christ, that God has radically changed you, and that y'all are acting different toward other people. Um, John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, he says, you can do nothing. So when we look at our text, we notice <clears throat> that the culture is shifting is shifting because the gospel changes the very nature of people. He causes us who did one thing to go do another thing now. That we act different, we think different, we walk different, we, 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 we see the world differently. Uh, let's take a further step. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and your labor of love, he says. Now things actually shift to the work that the people that are being transformed are actually doing. It's the faith that is changing them. And then now the faith that's changing them is causing them to treat people a little different. As a matter of fact, the gospel compels changed people to be a faith community. That God does not call us to be Lone Ranger Christians. It's not that we get saved and now we are just apart from everybody else. But now God begins to draw us in to, uh, to love people within the body of Christ, but also people outside in the community. <clears throat> Listen to it again. He says, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and your labor of love. Galatians 9, 
I mean, Galatians 6, verse 9 through 10 says, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. And listen to what he says, especially to those who are of the household of faith. It's never ceased to amaze me if we go do missions work, maybe in another country, or maybe even in the United States of America, or maybe just into another part of an extended part of the community that we live in. It's amazing that you watch people sometimes treat people and give more to them than they will to the people within the church house that they are a part of the household of faith with. I've seen people be outside of the United States of America in a foreign country and want to figure out how in the world they can get in touch with their bank to rid their bank account of the money that they have because they see the great need in this world and they'll give and give and give. But when you try to, I'm going to go ahead and make one announcement in, in right this minute, and I'm going to use it as an illustration. There's a board out here to help send kids to camp. It's just a, helping be a portion of sending them to camp. They have responsibility themselves. But you know what's amazing? We, we, want, we want them so bad to do fundraisers at churches. I hate fundraisers. I do. I, I, I think they're senseless. People say, well, to work and earn their own, earn, own their, earn their own keep. And, and I'm like, really? Because every fundraiser that I've ever been a part of, we work half the people, well, the, the 20% of the people that do 90% of the work within the church end up doing 100% of the fundraiser. Okay? And you work and work and work. Like our last year's Boston butt sale, we... Worked and worked and worked, did all that cooking all night long, all that kind of stuff, slaving in that greasy, nasty mess and all, and raised $1,500. But the church people put out $4,000 for that to happen. And I'm like, if, if all we needed was the $1,500, why didn't we save all our arteries and just give the $1,500? Right? My point is this. We'll go out here into other communities and we'll go out into all other parts of the world. Or if somebody's, something's happening in some other country and there's a missionary there, we'll sit here and start forking out money left and right to give to them. But when our own folks within the household of faith right here in our own doors are in need for something, it's like we come up with every excuse in the world not to help them. And I believe part of that is just like we do in our own houses. You ever notice we'll treat the people in our own houses worse than we'll treat people outside of our house? We'll talk differently to them. And I, and I, I know it's true. I know it's, as a matter of fact, we even joke sometimes that the caregivers to people that are sick get treated worse than everybody else. It's, it's like you'll hurt the people that are closest to you or we'll misuse them. And that ought not be so in our lives, Right. If there is a need within the body of Christ, the body of Christ is supposed to help step up and make it happen. A legitimate need is what I'm talking about. I just say all that to say that something was different about the church at Thessalonica. As a matter of fact, we won't go to it. I don't, I don't have the, uh, the notes pinned down for that. But, but we can read on about the church at Thessalonica and other, other places. And we'll find out that the church at Thessalonica was a church that was sponsoring missions like crazy. I mean, Paul was praising them for the fact that they were not only taking care of their own area, they were actually doing stuff other places in the world. Everywhere Paul would go, he'd receive 
receive support from them. I mean, it's like God was just working in their lives and there was this labor of love. And that word labor there, it literally means that, that, that you work to exhaustion. That they work themselves to exhaustion. Doing what? Loving people. Loving people. Uh, let me throw 1 John 2.10 says, He who loves his brother abides in light and there is no cause of stumbling in him. 1 John 3.14 says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. And then in Titus chapter 2, I'm going to share with you just a moment uh, that, that what they're doing in this labor of love is they're learning how to do life together because it's different when we do life together within the church family. You, everybody has their idea of how things are done at their own houses. Then you've got people that lead within the community. But then now God has brought together this one common bond in Jesus Christ. And now we all are going to come together for one main purpose. I say one main purpose with, with two legs of that purpose. It is that we become disciples of Jesus Christ and we share the gospel with others and disciple them. And that process, that is the process. And, and unfortunately, sometimes it calls for us to have to have other things. It's like building this building. It's like being in here, you know, with, with things, the lights and the air conditioning, all this stuff. These are creature comforts that we have, but these things don't have us. And we're, we're going to share about that. But just think about that for a moment, that you and I are doing life together and learning how to love one another. And that is a process. When God saved me and I say, God changed me at the house, I didn't know how to be a dad. As a matter of fact, I don't even know that I fully still know how to be a dad. But I knew a lot more at the end of it than I did at the beginning of it. And God did that through a process of sanctification and through godly people being around me. That's why I started praying a prayer in my, at, when I turned 40 years old. God, allow me to please be teachable. And I began to put people around me that were older than me and I shut my mouth and I listened to them. And I've got people that I can call right now that are further along in the game than I am. They've been serving Christ a lot longer and they are above reproach in their serving Christ. In other words, they may have had things just like anybody does, but they've never had a drastic failure. But grace, they're people that have realized what it's like to walk through in grace. In other words, that they do mess up at times. And these people are people that, I, like I say, I listened to, as a matter of fact, I started going around to people that God would point out to me that were much older than I am and further along in ministry. And I would say, I'd walk up to them, I'd say, however far I've got to drive, however much I've got to pay, and whatever time I've got to set aside, I want to be, I want you to speak into my life. I want you to, to teach me, to mentor me. And by God's grace, He allowed this to happen. And I thought I knew what it was like to be a man. I thought I knew what it was like to be a godly man. But come to find out that they were able to teach me some things. Not that I've arrived at anything now. But they've been able to teach me. And it's only because the household of faith is working together in love. These folks are starting from scratch. That's why the Apostle Paul, and we'll talk about it next week. He says, you followed us and you followed the Lord. They didn't have anybody else to follow in the flesh. I mean, Paul was it. He stayed there for some time. Why? Because when they come to faith, they're brand new. There is no 
person in the community that knows uh, has been walking with the Lord anytime. The gospel was brand new into this community. And sometimes even in our own lives, and even in church life, God will bring us into a season of something that maybe hardly anybody's ever been through. And that's one reason I try to keep those people out in front of me. I'm, I'll call them. I'm like, hey, man, we're going through something I've never been through before. And I'll, I'll kind of talk to four or five of those people that God's put in my life. Uh, and, you know, and, and then pray and with, with the leaders here at the church. And, you know, and we, we work through that season. Not always perfect by no means. But this is going on. That's what I want you to get. This is what's going on in Thessalonica. They're working through things, but they're working through it by the grace of God. And it is exhausting. But it's joyful. I mean, he even says that we won't go to it. But in, in our chapter that we're reading in, he mentions the word joy when he's talking about what's going on in Thessalonica. Have you ever been joyful but just exhausted? I mean, it's a labor of love that is taking place here, and they are happily exhausted. Now, sometimes I've been exhausted and not been happy. I don't know about you. It would be a burden. But what they're doing is not a burden. What they're doing is actually learning how. Let me, let me give you Titus chapter 2. Verses 1 through 8. He says, But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be chaste, I mean, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the Word of God may not be blasphemed. And that's the point, that the Word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, it says, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. In other words, to think rightly of themselves. In all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned. Listen, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed having nothing evil to say of you. And see, all of this stuff, that's a lot of work. Just that in and of itself. That's why God, I shouldn't say it that way. I joke around about the fact that the women were not to be given but to a little bit of wine. I figure after all they go through, he must have said, you can have a little drink if you need to. <laughs> That's a joke. So, but anyhow, it does say that. But, the, but think about it. That's a lot of work. That is, I mean, you think about that you, you as if you're older men, to follow that prescription and to break it down and to live it out. And the ladies, that you are to follow after that prescription, that the older women are to teach the younger women, that the older men and women are to teach the younger men. How, how to walk in integrity and how to be reverent, how to be mindful of the fact that they're not where they're going to be. And so they got to give, uh, give way to being instructed and all these things. That's a lot of work. And to do that without breaking into a fist fight or just throwing your hands up and walking away, there's a lot of forgiveness in that. There's a, there's a lot of uh, Give it like give and take in that. It's like, you know, I have my preference, you have your preference, but the truth of the matter is, at the end of the day, God's the one that's right. And so as long as we can agree that God's the one that's right and we go by Him, and I let mine go and you let yours go, and we, we come to an agreement there that God's the one that's going to be right and we're going to love each other and we're going to work through this thing and get through it together so that the gospel would not be, uh, uh, you know, we'd, 
uh, mocked and, and, and scorned. That's a lot of work. Especially for some who have never had any experience in it whatsoever. And Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, they are trying to help out with things. And Paul's staying on for some time. It's a lot of work to love. Well, let's put it this way. How many of y'all ever heard it takes Jesus to love somebody? The thing I know about that is it also takes Jesus for some people to be able to love me. It takes Jesus for me to be able to love me sometimes. The grace of God through the, uh, through, through the work of the Holy Spirit of God working in us all and realizing that we have different battles that come through in our lives. Everybody in this room has seasons. There's some folks in here in this room right now, you have come through a hard season in life. Some folks right now, you're going through a hard season in life. Some folks ain't never really seen a hard season in life. Live long enough, you will. But all those things impact us, do they not? But in all of it, God's saying that we got to love one another and get along for the glory of God and become more and more like Christ each and every day. We're to forgive one another. We're to do, do life together. All while we're being conformed into the image of Christ. Then he says, remembering without ceasing the work of faith, labor of love. And then he says, patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. I believe this. I believe that when a culture changes, it changes because the gospel transforms the very nature of people. I believe that those people that have been transformed become a faith community. And then I believe that the gospel cuts our ties with this world. Because one way we're able to do what we do and be a faith community is to realize that God, that this ain't it. That, that our ties to this world are cut. How many of you know that at times of trouble in people's lives, whether there's a scare that somebody may not make it, or there's a a person that's passed away. And some of the conversation you almost always hear is that stuff don't matter now. Y'all ever heard that? Things just don't matter. It's like, uh, you know, it's like, well, are you going back to work? No, I'm staying here with mama because, you know, if we have to sell a vehicle or if we have to do whatever, it's just stuff. We can get another one of those, but I'm going to spend, I can't get this time with mama again. It's like the switch flips and, and, and all. That's why some people, you know, do what they do to, to try to stay home with their children. I remember Christy, Christy and I, when, when we first got married, lived in that single wide mobile home. One of the reasons we lived in it was because it was the only way we could make it, in, make it and still her be there with the children. And it was a conscious decision that we made. It's just stuff. I mean, it, 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 at the end of the day, we, we'll sit here and say it, but that's the way we should... As Christians, we should be living our lives every day. It's just stuff. I, I, my brother and I were fishing one time, and uh, uh, the combination of rod and reels that we would fish with sometimes, I mean, they're not super expensive, but they ain't cheap. And we had about $150, $175 worth of rod and reel that we was putting some bait on, and we had every rod holder that we could get tied up. And he's like, I'll just stick it up here in the T-top and then hold it. And 
I'm sitting there eating a pack of crackers, you know, drinking my Pepsi and, and all. And next thing I know, I heard something hit the water. And I looked up and the rod was gone. It, it was his rod, thank God. Uh, so I didn't take it as seriously as he did. He was kind of upset. But we had to have the conversation so that we could have good fellowship the rest of the day that it's just a rod and reel. We don't get to spend time with each other a lot. So we'll get another rod and reel, but let's enjoy the rest of the day. Because that's more important than the $150 or whatever it was for the rod and reel. You with me? I, I won't ever forget Batcave Baptist Church. Brand new building. I think it was 2.5. I may be wrong. Somebody will comment if they watch from Batcave or something like that. But the building was actually supposed to be painted in like a like a eggshell or semi-gloss, it was, but not flat. Ended up the contractor painted the hallways and the sanctuary with flat paint. From four foot down, there was little handprints and everything. Where you, and you could see them because you, you ever painted anything with flat paint. You touch it, you know it. And all through the sanctuary, like I say, it was almost like wainscoting. There was little dragon marks with hands and handprints all down the hallway, downstairs. And folks get, started getting to be upset. Brand new building. Here it is. Blah, blah. Didn't do, didn't do the paint right. And here this is. Pastor David stood up in the pulpit one Sunday. And he, he just wanted to correct this. He said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do to fix this. He said, I'll just go get me a doggone red crayon and I'll circle every one of them hand prints and sign it and say, Pastor David loves this little one. Why? This ain't worth it. It just ain't worth it. And if there's anything that God's teaching me the longer that I live, it just ain't worth it. Time's too precious. To let stuff and let this world hold me. And it is too precious to hold you. You know, we can, yes, if we need it and the Lord wills, we can get more automobiles. We can get more buildings and all this stuff. But it's the people that God's in. Where, it's, that's why Christ died was for the people. It's the people. Listen. 1 John 5, 4 and 5 says... And whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And then in Romans, it's amazing, Romans chapter 7 verse 18 through chapter 8, 3, verse 3 says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For me to will is present within me, but now how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, with me, the one who wills to do good. I'm going to read that again. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Now he goes on and tells that there's this war going on inside of him 
And, and he's like, who is going to deliver me from this war? And that's the war that we go through every time we think, have to consciously think about whether we're going to be worried about this world and our attachments to this world or we're going to be worried about people. That, that's, that war is even going on. And he says that the war, that, the, the law that is working good for God is the law of the mind. That's why he tells us in Romans chapter 12 that we are to renew our minds every day. Why? Because we have this other law, the law of our flesh. And it is warring against the mind. And y'all ever been there before? I've just about drove myself crazy having conversations with myself about stuff I shouldn't do and stuff I should do. You ever been there? I felt like Paul. Don't do it. Man, I want to. Don't do it. Yeah, but it'd be fun. Don't, don't you do it. Right? He says, who is going to deliver me from this? See, this is the hope that the Thessalonians have. The hope that they know that their election in God is sure. That, that, that they are saved. And because they're saved, although they war like this, they're going home. That's why he says in chapter 8 of Romans, verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ. Jesus, who walked not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit is life in Christ Jesus, has made us free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh in account, on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. And do you get that? So when, we get, when we're saved, then out in eternity future, our account is settled. And although we war and rage and wage a battle within us in the middle of it, the battle is actually proven the fact that we belong to Him. Because without him, there would be no battle because the, the law of the flesh would rule. But who has overcome that? Jesus Christ. For God sent his own son to die the death because of the condemnation of our flesh. And now we've been set free. And so now all we do, look, we, all we have to look to now is to the law that has been saved us in Jesus Christ out in the future. For what the law couldn't do because the flesh was weak, Jesus Christ came and did it. And so when you come to Christ Jesus as your Savior, now out in eternity future, our account is settled. Our debt is paid. We are free. But now in this life that we live, it gets rough sometimes. We got this war going on. And we wonder, where is the hope in this? And the hope is the hope that the Thessalonians have. See, that they were uh, sure of their election by God. Listen to what he says again. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and patience of hope. Notice that word patience. In other words, we're patiently waiting, looking for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, who one day is going to finally set us free from this body of sin. And I don't know about you, but that excites me. The fact that even we, we talk a lot of times about the, the fact that we, we're getting older and our bodies are decaying and we realize that there won't be no more knee pain, there won't be no more shoulder pain, there won't be no more cancer, there won't be no more, none of that stuff. But, but I also sit here and I go, I'm glad that I'm going to be set free from this too. Amen. Some of y'all might not have that problem, but I do. That war that's going on all the time. You know, and, 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 and all that, the struggles and all the anxieties, depression that rages so much in this world that we live in, set free from all that. 
that one day, be patient, brothers and sisters. One day we're going to get set free from this stuff. That if we are in Christ Jesus, all of the, let's just go this way, I'll speak of my own life. All of the handicaps of life that I face every single day, and you as well. If you're in Christ Jesus, one day it's gone. It's ended. And that is the hope that we have to live each and every day. That's why we push on. That's why we, we have a joy in our heart. That's why the Apostle Paul, I believe, went to the end of Thessalonians and wrote these words. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. He says, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Did you hear that? Because see, sometimes we even think that when somebody passes that the grave has won a victory. The, if they're in Christ Jesus, the grave has won no victory. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us he's victorious over death, hell, and the grave. He said, I don't want you to be ignorant, brother, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again... Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will raise, rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. And he says, comfort one another with these words. If it wasn't for that victory, it would be miserable, wouldn't it? Let's just be honest. I mean, if it wasn't, you know, some folks, and, and everybody's got it different. Lord, you know, Lord, if you never do another thing for me, even if you didn't take me to heaven, at the end of it all, it, 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 it's, you still, it was worth it all. I don't know how I feel about that. Not, not the fact that he's already written what's going to happen. Because see, part of me trusting him is believing that everything he says is right. So I've, I've placed my hope in that. I've placed my, my trust in the fact that he's going to follow through with it all, not just part of it. And I know my human, the human side of me wants to say, God, you've been good to me thus far. If you never do another good thing for me, I'll be okay. I get that. I get that. But then the redeemed man within me goes, but he ain't done yet. He can't be done yet because he promised. And he who promised is faithful to take what I've committed to him and that he's going to finish this thing. And he will. You see, the, the world that we live in today has a problem with the truth. Because they don't want to change. Their deeds are evil. They don't want to change. And those of us that have been changed, we can see now. But understand, there was a time when we couldn't see. And, and I, at the end, I just want to encourage the, us that we should not take the liberty that we've been given and use it in vain just for ourselves. There are people out there that the gospel needs to set free. 
And it's our responsibility to take the gospel to them and the hope that we have. That's why Paul said of the Thessalonians, he said, I don't even have to speak about you. The hope that you have, it's being cast forth. That road I was talking about, that, that, that uh, commerce road and the trade route and all, it was being cast all down that road. Do you know that if you live for the glory of God like these folks are living, that you don't even have, let's, let's put it this way. The Apostle Paul traveled more miles than his feet ever walked. And you and I can too. Our testimony will travel much further than our feet, our car could ever travel. And it's all because of the change that's been made in our nature and our love for one another and the hope that we have that this ain't it, that God will finish this work that he started. I'm going to invite you to stand with me for just a moment. And uh, as you do, I want to encourage you, maybe, just maybe, you don't know Christ as your Savior. And, but you know that Christ is drawing on you. Maybe you're watching online, maybe you're here with us, but that you, you, um, you know that you're, you're not changed, that your nature is, you're still the same. You, you, you don't struggle with that. You don't have that, that wrestling within you. you. You just do whatever you want to do, but you've tried to be good, and you've really wanted to try to you know, work your way somehow to some version of God or some version of um, being at peace in your life. You just can't get there. If that's you, I want to encourage you in something. Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. He is the very author of our salvation. He is the originator of our salvation, it says in Hebrews. The author and finisher of our faith. It's Christ. That's who we're seeking. That, that eternity that God's put inside of every man, it, it, that, that is why we, we're seeking. We don't know what we're seeking, but I'm trying to tell you today that, that it's Christ. The missing part is Christ. And if you today want to come to faith in Christ, if you say, today I'd love, to, I'd love to follow Christ from this point forward, then I'd encourage you to do that right where you're at. You just simply, I mean, we acknowledge the fact that we're sinners. I mean, that's the first place to start. The good news is not good news unless we have bad news. And the bad news is that all of sin falls short of the glory of God. But the good news is that Christ commended Himself unto us even while we were yet sinners. He died for us. And so... I encourage you to acknowledge the fact that you're a sinner, but also acknowledge the fact that today is the day that you're turning your life over to Him. You believe by faith in Him, and you want to follow Him from this point forward. You repent, believe, and trust. And I encourage you, if, and if that's something that you do today, please don't leave this place without coming and talking to me. I'll stay till the last person's gone. It's always, if it's online, message us. Somebody watches our messages all the time as they come in and respond within a timely fashion. We'd love for you to, uh, to let us know that you've done it so we could help lead you in the right direction. And if I could tell you anything else, is that if you're struggling with this, and you've been struggling this for a long time, and God's pulling on you, obey the Spirit. Obey Him. Even if you've 
quote unquote been saved before, but you know good and well that ain't nothing but a lie. You know, a lot of people say, I didn't know what I was doing. Whatever it is, if you have not got peace with it, you need to make peace between you and God today, and you can do that through Jesus Christ. And for everybody else, if you're saved today, I encourage you, think about how God could take and change the culture in the church family and then also within our community by making a culture shift, and it would all be centered around the gospel. Then you be a part of that. Um, as, as we get ready to, to sing, I, I can't help but encourage you that if God's leading you to, to work some type of ministry, uh, you know, that stuff that we have out there for the Cleveland County Rescue Mission, I didn't come up with that. Somebody in our church got burdened to help them out. And over the process of a couple of years, they, they just were obedient to the Lord to go lo love on them. Thank you for listening. You can reach us at life at crc.com.